911, what's your emergency? America's healthcare system is broken and people are dying. Welcome to Code Whack, where we shine a light on America's callous healthcare system, how it hurts us, and what we can do about it. I'm your host, Brenda Gazar. In honor of Dr. Martin Luther King Day, we're looking at what injustice in healthcare looks like for insured people. How is it that even those with health insurance face crushing medical debt in America? What choice do patients really have when they find themselves fighting for their lives and unable to pay the exorbitant costs for their care? And what far-reaching impact can medical debt have? To find out, we spoke to Monique Davis, a nonprofit executive living in Southern California. She was diagnosed with amyloidosis, a rare medical condition in 2016 that required her to have several rounds of treatment and a stem cell transplant. She had health insurance, but the treatments and multiple ambulance rides still left Monique and her husband with thousands of dollars of medical debt, relentless harassment from debt collectors, and a ruined credit score. This is the first of two episodes featuring Monique's harrowing story. Welcome to Code Whack, Monique. Thank you, Brenda, so much. It's great to be with you today. Oh, we're so happy to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you live and what do you do? Thank you. So I have been a houser working in housing finance over the span of my career over the last 20 years. And the last nine, 10 years of my career has been in um, nonprofit affordable housing. I live in Orange County, California. I live in the city of Buena Park and I'm married and I have two sons and three stepchildren who, who do not live with us. You were diagnosed with a rare medical condition, I believe in late 2016. Tell us about that and how that diagnosis affected you. So interesting how I found out about it is I'm a nonprofit executive, like I said, working in housing to build homes for folks that have experienced homelessness at the time. So I just got a big promotion to COO and my husband and I just happened to be at AAA renewing like a DMV registration or something. And I thought, well, let's go look at their insurance products. And so through the insurance process, it was determined that there was something wrong and so that they had found in my blood work. And so over the series of about nine months following that event in November of 2016, I was diagnosed with AL amyloidosis. And so it affected us because I became very, very ill very quickly and required chemotherapy and a stem cell transplant. So I had six rounds of chemotherapy. So that's about six months worth of chemotherapy treatment and then a stem cell transplant, which required that I would be receive high dose chemotherapy. So I have to be hospitalized. They'd have to harvest my stem cells, have me go through the stem cell transplant. And then I'd have to isolate for about 30 days because basically what happens is you're shutting down your immune system, you're giving your, your immune system a reboot. And then for your immune system to start back up again, basically they give it a sort of a jump start, and it starts back up again. And then you wait a few days and then you're released to go home from the hospital. Oh, wow. That sounds super intense. Yeah. Yeah. So the only advantage to it is that when we all had to isolate for COVID, it was, yeah, you know, I was used to it. So <laughs> yeah, that was probably the only <laughs> bright side. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like for you to go through all that? Um, it was scary. You know, I still had a son that had just graduated high school. I had an older son that was about 22 years old and I was 48 years old when I was diagnosed. So I was fairly young, I thought, and surprised that something like that would happen to I me. Mean, I was pretty active and, um, 
at the prime of my life from a career standpoint, I was more surprised, but also prepared to do whatever I needed to do to survive. So whatever my doctors told me to do, whatever appointments I needed to have, tests, treatment, I did it all. I did whatever they told me to do. And as painful as it was, and as hard as some of the treatment was, it was difficult. The way amyloid doses impacts you is you basically, your body is producing way too much amyloid protein. We all produce amyloid protein, but we can't dispose of it with amyloidosis. And so it starts to stiffen your muscles, your heart, your kidneys, it can get into your actual muscles, your digestive system can actually impact your brain. So I was lucky enough that we caught it fairly early. So I had a minimal damage to my heart and to my kidneys, but my digestive system was just totally shutting down. So I couldn't eat. I couldn't go to the restroom. When it, things got really bad, I started to vomit all day, every day. So I lost a lot of weight, but because of there was a period of time where I actually went about three weeks before I could eat anything. I didn't eat a thing. I mean, drink water, do nothing. Um, so it's the fact that I'm still here is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a miracle. What happened is that in that time where I was starting to get really sick and before my chemo started, I got diagnosed November 4th. And right after that week, I was admitted into the hospital. And from then on, it was go from one hospital to the other. I'd literally been admitted to every hospital in Orange County, California, until I started my chemo, which was the week of Christmas, December 2017. At one point, I had to learn how to walk again because I'd become so weak and, and frail and hospitalized so much that I just stopped being able to walk on my own. So I was confined to a wheelchair for about a year. I had to learn how to walk after that. Oh my goodness. So, yeah, yeah. Sounds like your disease progressed quickly. Very quickly. Monique, what health insurance did you have at the time? I've had an HMO for 20 plus years. We were insured with Aetna, and then in the middle of the treatment, we shifted. My husband's insurance switched over to, actually, no, I think it was mine. Mine switched over to Anthem Blue Cross. And how did you get your insurance? Were you employed at the time? Yes, employed. Um, my husband is also employed. I was double covered. So he had his HMO and I was covered under his policy. And then I also had HMO through my work. We were both covered under, under my policy. Tell us about the debt you faced as a result of all of these medical expenses. Well, when you go into the hospital, there were a couple times when I, my husband and my sons had to call the ambulance to come pick me up because I had passed out. And so there's the ambulance cost, there's the emergency room cost, then there's being admitted. And each time that I was admitted, I stayed in the hospital at least a week, no less than a week. So we're talking at least five days. So there was that accumulation. And then when you have all of the mobility issues, there's um, equipment that has to be brought to our home, like wheelchairs, there's portable commodes that have to be brought to the house. I had to have sometimes infusions at the home, either for fluid or sometimes it was other medications that needed to be administered through a, an in-home nurse. So that all cost additional money. When I had my stem cell transplant, the drugs just administered the stem cell stimulant medication was $20,000 for, you know, a series of like six or seven shots. Eventually the shots were covered, but we had to fight with the insurance company to actually pay the cost. Mm. So all in all, at one point we were looking at like $75,000 in debt. Wow. Yeah. And that's even with an HMO. And so you have to spend the time to make the phone calls. Husband had to call when I started 
started to get better, I made phone calls to make sure that they knew that we had insurance, to make sure that they built the proper insurance. And so some of it went down, but it was still over $10,000 and all in all that we owed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's a lot of money that we just didn't have, you know, and I was out of work. I was out of work for my treatment for at least a year. Mm. off and on after that an additional year mm. because of the treatment so when you have an immune system that's compromised I was constantly getting sick like any and everything every part of my body right I got eye infections I had a cough that I couldn't get rid of and that went on for at least a year so I had to have immunoglobulin so it's um, just basically uh, antibodies to boost your immune system I had to have five treatments of that so that was administered in-house so someone had to come and do that. And that was like $5,000. And then the machine, the mechanism in which the infusion was administered, that was $500. Wow. So, and that was all at our cost, right? Like it wasn't covered by the insurance company. Ah, uh, interesting. So what was your biggest concern about the medical debt at that time? Well, you know, number one, I wanted to live. I had kids that needed me, a husband that loved me and I love him and I was young. I, I still have so much life to live. So I wanted to live. And so whatever treatment, whatever medications they said I needed, I, we took it, right? And we, you know, we worried about the expense later, but we also questioned if they were generic drugs, we tried to have the most cost-effective care provided. So we weren't asking for expensive, you know, top of the line care. We were just asking for, you know, what was going to be life-sustaining. So that was really my issue, but it was, I wanted to just feel better. I, I wanted to feel better. I wanted to have some level of quality of life and I didn't want to, and if I did pass away, I didn't want to leave my husband um, in a lot of debt on top of the loss of me, you know, I, I just didn't want to do that. Mm, that must have been so hard for you. Did you have any concerns about your credit and how this could affect it? Well, of course. I mean, you know, um, once once I got better, you know, we were worried. The, the one thing that we made sure we paid was our housing costs. We wanted to make sure that our utilities and our housing was covered. But if we lost cars or whatever, you know, at that, that time, it wasn't really of consequence, right? What, what was more important is that we had a roof over our head. So the medical providers would call, they would pressure me for payments. They would call my husband on his job. They would harass both of us at all hours of the day. Even if we were covered under the insurance, they would still call us and demand payment. Wow. And, you know, instead of working with the, you know, if it was a hospital, they would still call us as opposed to just processing the billing. Mm -hmm. I was never offered a payment plan by any of the hospitals, none of them. California has a mandate that general or acute care hospitals must provide free or discounted care to uninsured or income-eligible patients who have high medical costs. Patients who can't afford their hospital care should apply for fair price discounts or charity care, which could prevent them from getting into severe medical debt. What did they tell you when you told them you couldn't afford these high bills? They said that it was still my responsibility for the medical equipment and for the nursing, the in-home nursing. They offered a payment plan and they asked me what I could do, but they only gave me like a six month window. So if the bill was $500, right, I'd have to break that up over six months. That's still $100 a month. And if I have other bills to pay, right, like it's, and I'm not working. And where we live in Orange County, you know, our rent at the time was like $2,500. 
Wow. So if I'm only making the max for disability payments, that's $5,000, but half of it goes to rent. Yeah, that's true. Were your sons living with you at the time or no? Both of them were. One of them was working. My eldest son um, actually was in college and he's, he's put college on hold to stay home and take care of me. So I know, I know. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I'm so grateful that he did. And so he would help take me to doctor's appointments. He, um, one day, um, because of the treatment, I, I went to the bathroom and I, before I could even make it to the bathroom, I passed out. And so it scared him. He thought I had died because I wouldn't wake up. So he had to call the ambulance, you know, and I'm grateful for that. He and I have never talked about the bill. He doesn't know, you know, I've not shared the the financial impact, but I think he's just grateful that I'm alive, you know, and he was able to give me the care that I needed to get. So, yeah. So he was in school, he was going to college. And so he couldn't work because he became my primary caregiver. Right, right. So how would you describe your financial situation at that time? At that time? Yeah. Um, I would say it was definitely paycheck to paycheck. I would say that we weren't thinking about the future in terms of saving. Like my husband and I have always invested in our, 40, our 401k or 403b. But at that time, it was just survival. It, every moment was about trying to get me better. Right. So financially, it was just make sure we have enough food in the house to you know, make sure that I have something to eat and that they have enough food to eat to get us going for the next day to start all over to do it again. There was no entertainment. There was no, you know, nothing fun. It was just, even the holidays, it was just centered around treatment for me. You mentioned getting calls at all hours of the day with collections people. What was it like dealing with them at a time that you're trying to survive? It was hard because I found that they were very insensitive. And then the, the ambulance companies were actually the worst. I mean, even when the hospitals would call, they were at least polite, right? Like they politely demanded money, but the ambulance companies were rude. They would yell at us. They would, you know, say all kinds of awful things. And they would call at all hours of the day. And like I said, they would call at work and they would call frequently throughout the day. And so that was stressful. It was scary because we didn't know if they and they would threaten us, like, we're going to take you to court. We're going to take your paycheck. You know, so we were just, we were scared, right? We didn't, we didn't know how to handle that other than to just, you know, we didn't want to ignore it, but we, we just didn't know what to do. Were you able to negotiate those bills down? No, to be honest with you, they ultimately just went to collections because we just didn't have the money. Right. So our credit is impacted by it. Our credit's impacted by a number of the medical bills, because even though some of them we paid off, some of them we just couldn't afford to, 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 to take care of. How do you feel about that, Monique? Um, I feel terrible about it. I feel like as a as a responsible, you know, law abiding citizen who works every day, who has health insurance, I shouldn't you know, shouldn't be in this situation. And I shouldn't be in a situation where um, it's a decision of whether I file bankruptcy or I let it just sit on my credit, you know, and, and, and ultimately, you know, make payments on it over time. Right. So, um, and I, I feel like a failure. I feel like, um, you know, I've let my family down, you know, because we all, we had dreams before all this happened, right? We had plans. And before all of this, it was, um, you know, we were in a pretty decent situation around our credit. And so, um, 
it definitely set us back and um, it's been a huge financial impact. And it's prevented me from getting, you know, when I when I was able to go back to work, right, it prevented me from getting jobs because they would run your credit and they'd say, okay, well, you, you know, even though I would explain what happened and they were sympathetic to that, they still were like, okay, you know, well, this is, this is too much, right? We can't get past it. And then some eventually, you know, obviously, um, uh, I'm working now and I work in the nonprofit space and the organization that I'm with, I explained it. I was, I, I was very transparent what had happened to me and the, you know, the credit um, situations, you know, match the time frame that I spoke about. And so they were able to make an exception for it. And so I was just very grateful for the consideration, right? Like for someone to understand um, what I had been going through and what my, what impact it had on my family and that it didn't mean that I wasn't a responsible person. Well, I'm so glad they did overlook your medical debt because the truth is we're all vulnerable. You had health insurance. In fact, you were covered through two different employer-sponsored health plans. And you, you tried to get generic medicines whenever possible. And yet you still experienced severe medical debt and were harassed day and night by debt collectors. We also know that existing programs for charity care at hospitals may not be advertised and often don't go far enough. Thank you so much, Monique, for sharing your powerful story with us. Thank you. Stay tuned next time when we continue our discussion with Monique about her medical debt and how she's doing today. Do you have a personal story you'd like to share about our WAC healthcare system? Contact us through our website at heal-ca.org. Find more Code WAC episodes on progressivevoices.com and on Nurse Talk Media. You can also subscribe to Code WAC wherever you find your podcasts. This podcast is powered by Heal California, uplifting the voices of those fighting for healthcare reform around the country. I'm Brenda Gazar.